brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette. I am an editor here at HowStuffWorks.com. And sitting across from me, as he always does, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. The only way to win is not to play. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I really enjoy our, our new studio. This is so much nicer. The, I'm, I'm glad. Uh, the only thing is the pool. We have to kind of stay out of the pool because it makes a lot of noise when we're trying to uh, trying to record a podcast. Also, really after swank. Josh and Chuck and the electricity incident, we really don't want to get in that pool anyway. No, no. So let's talk a little bit about a subject that uh, I find endlessly entertaining. Sure. Web 2.0. Ah, what yes. the heck is it? Is it what we think it is? Does it mean anything? Where am I? Where do I live? What? I'm sorry. I just I kind of get off on a whole series of questions there. Well, Web 2.0 can mean a lot of things, but I could tell you what it meant when it was coined. And the person you have to thank or blame, depending on how you look at it, I think in general probably thank, would be uh, O'Reilly, the publisher, O'Reilly Vice President Dale Doherty, who came up with the idea uh, basically back in a, uh, a retreat that they were talking about different things. And essentially what he meant at the time was these websites survived the dot-com crash. And this is why, because they had they sort of had a, a common set of characteristics that people still wanted to use. Right, right. What sort of qualities set those companies apart from the ones that right. collapsed these during guys, the dot-com crash? Sorry, I'm interrupting. No, no, no. Uh, these guys had a business model in a lot of cases, and some of them didn't, Right, uh, which helped them along a Let, lot. Let's talk about the dot-com crash a little bit before we get into Web 2.0. So let's let's cast our minds back to the the mid nineties. Okay, so but the, I can't throw very far. I have kind of a wimpy arm. Right. Well, your brain doesn't weigh that much, so I think you'll be able to get some more distance than you think. Mm. The um, back in the mid nineties, the web is is relatively new. You know, the web really started coming out in the the early nineties. Yeah. Um, and companies were just starting to kind of get a presence on the web, and we started seeing companies that with existent that existed outside the web make a, an entry first, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, it'd be some recognizable brand creating a website as a way of marketing that brand. Now, at the time, no one really knew the most effective way of doing it because it was so brand new, right? Right. And, and in addition, a lot, of, uh, a lot of companies thought it was just a flash in the pan. They yeah. didn't see a whole lot of value in, in even bothering with it in the first place. Well, and it, and I can kind of understand why because at the time, it was really a niche thing. At that, at that time... Again, college students were probably the number one consumers of the web when it first came out. Oh, yeah, I think so. Um, and then uh, people in research facilities, think people who were using it as a way, means of actually communicating their, their work to one another. Uh, and so in those early days, you might have thought if you were – if you were the a, a corporate executive, that uh, why would we market directly to these people? We can use television and print marketing the way we've always used it. Um, this web thing's never going to go anywhere. Uh, of course, that was not the case. The web exploded, and during that explosion, a lot of people got this kind of cool idea: like, what if we built a company that was founded upon the web. The right. web itself was the face of the company, the interface between company and and customer. Mm-hmm. And um, 
We'll provide either a product or a service, and the web will be the way that we uh, that we present that to to the average customer. Mm-hmm. And a lot of different companies sprung up using this idea. Everyone's thinking this is going to be the future. Everyone's going to buy everything online. Um, and uh, and before you knew it, companies were were popping up in in the dozens every single day. And you had lots of investors interested in this idea, of pouring money into these these companies um, that had either no business model, an unproven business model, or at least at the very least, no proven revenue. Right. I mean, they. they... I've heard more than one person refer to the early days of the web as sort of a Wild West scene. Yes. Uh, you know, to overuse a cliche, but, um, you know, essentially, you know, it kind of was like that. People were, were in such a hurry to, to, uh, to claim their territory, to, to come to the web with a brand new idea, or at least, you know, one that they could take ownership of before everyone else got to it, that they didn't really think through things very well. Well, and, and these, a lot of these little companies did not need the massive amount of investment that they received. Yeah. And in a way that actually ended up hurting them. Mm-hmm. You get a company that what might need, let's say, a hundred thousand dollars investment right. in order to, to really get off the ground and work and would instead get a million dollars of investment. And so the person running the company would be like, well, great. Now I can hire tons and tons of people and you ramp up faster that before you've even built an infrastructure. Right. So before you've built the basic structure for your, your business to rest on, you are going into full swing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these companies could not maintain that momentum. And in in fact, you got to hear stories about how people were going to be paid in, in uh, stock options. Oh, yeah. Because these companies were doing crazy amounts of, of you know, the, the amount of money being invested into, into them. Um, some of the ones that went public, their stocks rose dramatically overnight because everyone was interested in it. Well, so, yeah. I mean, the initial public offering or IPO – uh, for some of these companies was massive. Yeah. And, and in the, the weeks immediately following, um, some of the people who had stock options and some of the, the very early pioneers of the internet, some of the ones that are still around, especially the ones who've had real staying power, they made quite a bit of money just on the stock options that they were granted as part of their, uh, incentive packages. Right. Now, if you were, if you were to make a ton of money off this initial, um, internet boom, this initial mm-hmm. web boom, the best way for you to have made money off this would be to get tons and tons of stock and then almost immediately sell it off. Well, yeah, because that. Because the real problem was that as the reality set in that these companies were not generating revenue and therefore not making a return on the investment that had been poured into them, the companies began to collapse. Yeah. Uh, the stock became worthless, and so people who were paid in stock essentially made nothing mm-hmm. um, or, or close to nothing. And a lot of these companies went away, and only a few, uh, by relative means anyway, uh, survived. Yeah. Now, those companies that did survive were the ones that, that Dougherty said were Web 2.0 companies. These yeah. were the ones that did something differently than the, the ones who died out, and that's why they were able to stick around. So mm-hmm. the the task at hand at this, this conference was, let's look at these companies, see what sort of things they, they did differently, mm-hmm. and then that is what we will now define as being what is required to be successful, a, co- a successful company on the web. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, over the years, I, I think people 
didn't necessarily understand what what he meant um, because Web 2.0, the term Web 2.0 has kind of gotten hijacked. Yeah, and, it, it uh, almost now is synonymous with social networking. Yeah, and that that's simply because um, the earliest websites were basically one-way websites. Yeah. They, the publisher would put them up on the web and, I mean, about the most interaction you had with it was – you know, if there was an email address on there for you to reply to, you could, you know, send the, the author an email and let them know what was going on. But there really wasn't any uh, embedded interaction of any kind and, involved. And in the that. content on that site in general tended to be static. Yeah. Unless so, you had an animated GIF. All right. But the what I mean by static is that it did not change. True. In other words, if you visited it in May of 96 and then you went back in March of of uh, 99 and the the web page was essentially the same page because there was no you know it wasn't dynamic at all it would just stay the same uh there wasn't really any incentive to go back to that web page right and a lot of companies hadn't really figured out how to leverage the web in such a way where you were providing useful information and a useful way for customers to interact um, mm-hmm. beyond just saying, hey, this is who we are and this is what we do. Um, Especially not in a way that they could monetize and, and try to make a business out of. So let's talk you about could, – You could put anything you wanted to on there, but if people weren't coming back and right. they weren't buying something from you, you – really weren't getting anything from it. Right. As a matter of fact, if you were paying for hosting, then you were paying money to read your content, for them to read your content and not getting anything in return. So that really isn't a particularly practical business model. No, that, that's what we call a bad business model. Let's talk about one that actually ended up being a good business model, although it took years for it to, to turn around. And I'm talking about Amazon.com. Yes. Now, Amazon was one of the the companies that Doherty would point to and say, this is an example of Web 2.0. And I would agree. Even even though it was a company that took years for it to really start making enough money to to start being a return on investment, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that Amazon did that really helped out early on was Amazon allowed its users to post reviews of products. Yes, and this was a an interactive way where customers could get involved in the process, and it it. It added value to Amazon.com's service. Mm-hmm. And because of that, it was able to survive the, the dot-com crash, or that's part of why it was able to survive. Uh, the fact that it that customers valued that particular part of the service, as well as the fact that they could use it to, to shop for whatever it is they wanted, um, meant that they would come back to Amazon.com and actually use the service, as opposed to some of these others where you'd visit once and then you're like, well, that was cool, but there's no reason to ever come back. Yeah, another thing that uh, Amazon had in its favor is the algorithm on the back end that enables uh, the software running the site to identify not only what you have bought, but it helps you, it helps match up uh, customers that have bought the same thing and make recommendations to you. So suddenly there's a reason to go back and shop because you go, yeah, you know, I really like this, this one book, but you know, I, I don't know, I don't really know what I want to read next. And Amazon.com could say, well, you know what? Other people who bought this book bought this book too. And you, you know, read the, the description of it and read some of the reviews and you go, you know what? That really does look good. And of course they expanded into many, many other markets as well. But, uh, you know, just, it, it's an experience where you go to shop, you get an idea of, uh, what people think about the product. You get an idea of other things that you could buy along with it. That's, you know, the add on sale in retail terms. Um, oh, hey, you're buying this. Other people like this one. Why don't you buy both for a specially discounted rate? Um, you know, that, that really helped them survive. 
survive and and thrive really in the in the post dot com crash market. Yeah, um, and it also sort of spawned uh, what uh, Wired um, editor. Chris Anderson called the long tail because mm-hmm. suddenly you were finding items in the back catalog, things that may have even been published years ago um, that other people liked. And suddenly those items were starting to sell. And it wasn't just the top 10 or 20 percent of, of, you know, just the best sellers. It was pretty much anything that, that Amazon carried. And um, suddenly they were able to compete with the brick and mortar stores of the world, which basically were just ca- carrying stuff that they knew they could sell. Right now, right. You know? So um, that was definitely a good example of of that. Yeah, and uh, getting back to the the dynamic versus static, mm-hmm. this is also when we start seeing things like uh, trends like blogging really oh, yeah. start to take off. Blogging is another good example in that it's if you go to a blog, then that that content changes sometimes on an hourly basis depending on the blogger. Yes, but at least like if you visit a blog a couple times a week, you'll notice that there's new content up. Um, blogging was one of those things that really attracted people to different websites. Again, it gives you a reason to return to the same site over and over again. It's not just that, you know, you don't you don't go there just whenever you need something specific. You go there because you're interested in the blogger's point of view and you want to see the latest information that that person has to offer. Um, also, the whole wisdom of the crowds notion. Ah, yes. This is another one of those things that came out of the whole Web 2.0. And, and we touched on it with the Amazon.com stuff and the user reviews. But another, of course, uh, another great example of that would be all the wikis, including Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. These are uh, websites that have become successful because it, they build a community of users and they rely upon the users to provide content. Mm-hmm. So you're no longer just creating content and serving it to people and telling them that's what they want. That's mm-hmm. the Steve Jobs method. What you're doing is you're allowing the, the community of users to create the content that they do want and that they're all providing their own point of view and their own uh, expertise to kind of uh, to build it up over time. Now, this is not always successful. Mm-hmm. There are problems that come up because we're people. Right. And people tend to have different ideas of what's best for any given situation. And some of them have agendas. And, you know, that can come into play, too. But the basic idea is pretty sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, um, no, I was... You know the idea of user-generated content, folksonomies, crowdsourcing. You know, getting everybody into the act instead of just the, the content producers. Um, again, Anderson said, you know, computers democratized the the act of creating content, and the internet basically democratized the act of uh, of distributing that content. And suddenly, everybody's you know creating videos to share on YouTube and right. taking other uh, items and mashing them together to make new things. Um, then you have you know the interactivity sites where there are you know games and and things that you can do uh, Ajax and uh, the other APIs that allow you to uh, to make individual sites much more interactive and and functional than they used to be for the user and you can customize things you know portals um, where you really have control over the content RSS feeds to bring to incorporate your blogs yeah, really into a reader yeah. And you can syndicate your blog feeds and aggregate them in one place, um, along with weather and traffic and stock reports and all that stuff. You know, it's, it just makes those sites interactive, you know, and to the point where, uh, you can, you have a reason to come back to them every day. And there, there is a, a way to keep you there. Um, you know, Facebook certainly has 
found a way to do that. Yeah. You've actually touched on something else that I thought I would mention about Web 2.0 in yeah. that uh, part of the whole idea is that you can access the web through multiple um, means, mm-hmm. not just sitting at your computer, but on, say, a cell phone or smartphone right. or tablet device or whatever. Um that's another important part of Web 2.0. A good Web 2.0 site would be accessible through multiple forms of, uh, of electronic devices. Mm-hmm. So that way a person can consume that product or service or whatever, however you want to define it, um, in the way that he or she prefers. Right. So you might have uh, certain people who, for example, Twitter is a great example. Yeah. Okay. Some people prefer to use Twitter just by going to the Twitter website reading the updates, and occasionally updating from there. Mm-hmm. Some people prefer to download a client to their computer so they can keep up with uh, Twitter updates throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Some people prefer to only interact with Twitter through some sort of handheld device like a phone, right? where they've either got a Twitter client on there or they're actually using the, the Twitter phone API where they can uh, I, I can update through text messages. Um, I don't know anyone who does that specifically because it tends to eat up your text messages pretty quickly, but I, I'm sure there are people out there who do use that. I, I have done that on occasion. But that's it's a good example there. Twitter has really got the right idea as far as giving users the most flexibility to to access that service as possible, where Twitter kind of is still you know questionable as the whole business model mm-hmm. angle. Um, some of these companies have great business models where they are clearly making plenty of revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other companies where the business model is either emerging or still kind of murky, where we're not really sure if they figured out a way to to monetize what they do. Uh, that's one of the downsides of some of the folks who are on the web is that they've got these great ideas of ways of, of providing really compelling services or websites or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, but they don't have the business expertise to find a way of actually leveraging, leveraging that to make money beyond the initial investment. Sure, sure. So they can get investors to pour money into it. But again, when we look back at the dot-com crash, if you don't find a way to generate revenue so that you can re- repay those investors, mm-hmm. then it just becomes a borrowing game until people are no longer willing to lend you money. Yeah, once they've figured out that you don't have a, a viable business model and you're not making money, all you're doing is spending millions of dollars, they're not exactly likely to uh, continue funding. Yeah, it becomes kind of like a pyramid scheme. You have to keep asking more people to pay money so you can pay back the investors from the previous round as well as keep going. Yeah. Yeah, that that gets scary really, really fast. Yeah. And uh, in fact, a lot of us have felt that Twitter was kind of on that path because um, everyone recognizes that Twitter provides a very valuable service. But until Twitter finds out a way of making money from that valuable service, it's a question of how long are people willing to pay money in the hope that eventually Twitter will get its act together and pay back investments. Right. I'm not sure that everybody knows for sure that that's a very valuable service. I'm sure that all the people who've used Twitter and quit uh, very early on, and Twitter does have quite a few of them. Yeah, we call them losers. Yeah. Losers. We don't call them that. I call them losers. Yeah, um, but no, I mean, not everyone agrees on that, but that's that's one of the things about Web 2.0. There are plenty, plenty, plenty of sites that offer variations of different things and uh, there's generally a flavor that people will eventually hit on when they go, oh wait, I like this one a little better because it's got it's it's orange instead of green. Right. Um, so, you know, 
know, there's 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 always somebody popping up with uh, with a new site these days. But um, the trick is to get them to uh, to stay on. And then of course people ask about Web 3.0. Right. Well. It, I think the big winner of Web 2.0 uh-huh. out of everyone yeah. is the whole idea of the social network. Yeah. Although ultimately you can say that the big winner is really Facebook, at least for the United States. Um, yeah. Almost every other social network at this point in the United States isn't also ran. Mm-hmm. Uh, even MySpace, which was the head of Facebook for a really long time. And then there were Friendster. Yeah. Uh, let's, yeah. It's barely warranted a mention. Um, there's myyearbook.com. Yes. Don't go there. Um, <laughs> so the, but no, the, the, this Facebook really definitely won out in the long run, but the social networking idea, the whole idea of connecting people together so that they can communicate and uh, participate in games and that kind of thing, that really took off. Yeah. Especially uh, after, like, no, I'd say 2004, 2005. Um, that's when you really start seeing these social networks start to ramp up. And then once uh, Facebook hit the scene, and that was, what, 2007, when they went public yeah. with everybody? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, then it really exploded. So, uh, yeah, moving on to Web 3.0, what could that be? Well, th- the question is whether or not that's even a meaningful term. I, I honestly think that at this point... Um I think to some degree Web 2.0 is a valid term, especially if you, you keep it in the, the concept of uh, what Dale Doherty was thinking of. You know, right. These survive because they're viable, they're, they, can, they can support themselves. To that end, I'm not sure there's ever really going to be a Web 3.0. I mean, we've made so many improvements since the dot-com bust. Right. But those imp- you know, improvements have come gradually, one by one. People sort of had their heads screwed on straight, both venture capitalists and the, the people who create most of the uh, you know the websites, the new style websites with interactivity and 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 that kind of thing. I'm trying deliberately not trying to call it Web 2.0. I mean, generally, it seems like most most websites have an idea of what they're you know the the group of people they're trying to reach, the business model they're going to do use to sustain themselves, and you know how they're going to achieve their goals. And I'm not sure that there's a, a leap, a significant leap, uh, where there's a demarcation between Web 2.0 and Web 3.0 that people are going to point back and go, oh, this this is actually when everything really changed and it's now Web 3.0. I, I can think of a couple of possibilities, although both are, well, really, I can think of one possibility, but it's really kind of a, uh, you know, Orwellian fat chance kind of thing. Okay. Which is that Web 3.0, becomes Facebook is synonymous with web or Google is synonymous with web. Okay. The idea being that you have one company that is so good at defining the web experience that it becomes the de facto definition of the web experience and slowly eats up everything else until anything else you would encounter on the web has to play ball with that particular corporation. So in the example of Facebook, instead of having web pages that you would go and visit, you would have all these different Facebook apps or Facebook fan pages or whatever you want to call it uh, to interact with different brands. Now, that would take years for mm-hmm. that to actually happen. But it, I could see it happening if, uh, if, in fact, trends continued the way they do. For example, the idea being that People are relying more on sites like Facebook to find information they want and ask their friends questions uh, than they would going to uh, a traditional search engine. Right. 
They'd also have to beat out Google to get to that role. Yeah, so Google and Facebook might eventually face off against one another, or one might try to buy the other one. Uh, that would be interesting. I, I do have a, a different concept of what 3.0 might be. What's that? The semantic web. Ah, that's a great point. Yeah, the semantic web is where you start having some artificial intelligence in the network so that the uh, the web itself is responding very specifically to what you want to see so that it's it's kind of learning about you as you use the web. Yep. It relies on a technology called Resource Description Framework, or RDF, and, um, and XML, which is... Uh, <laughs> by a lot of people's terms, a successor to HTML, though HTML5 will probably call that into question. Right. But basically, uh, the difficulty in turning things, uh, turning the current web into the semantic web is it requires people creating additional markup for each page because what the semantic web is trying to do is um, it, it takes two different items and puts them into a context and that basically will help you match up your interests to the interests of other people, and it makes connections very quickly, or can, but it also requires people to learn this new technology and implement this new technology. It will probably require new browser technology in order to make that work. So it's not a pure and simple... Uh, as we know it right now, web technology is something that we can just throw into a website and make it work. It's going to take quite a bit of infrastructure managing on the back end. But it is something, I mean, you know, it's Tim Berners-Lee helped come up with it. So, I mean, it's a, a really neat idea that it would make the web more personal and more usable for a lot of people. And in some ways, there are some Web 2.0 websites that sort of incorporate the concept behind it, but it's not as efficient as purely what is described as the semantic web, which requires, again, a lot of markup on the back end. Right. So, uh, first of all, Tim Berners-Lee, for those of you who don't remember, is the guy who uh, invented the World Wide Web. Yeah. So uh, that's why why Chris was uh, name-dropping there. But the, uh, yeah, the, the whole um, concept does require lots and lots of work by human beings yes. to make the websites smarter, for lack of a better term. It's, it's smarter in quotes here. Right. So that you, when you are searching for something, the web, quote unquote, knows what it is you're searching for. Um, as opposed to, you know, the old search engines, you would put in some keywords and you would get a bunch of results. And the quality of your results would largely depend upon the quality of the keywords you used. Yes. So if you didn't use the right keywords or if you used very generic keywords, you might get tons and tons of responses, but only a few of them would be relevant to what you actually wanted and you'd have to sort through them all. With the semantic web, theoretically, your search engine would be able to figure out exactly what it was you were looking for and return the things you wanted and maybe even return some stuff that you didn't know about, but it has determined you would also be interested in based upon those keywords. Yeah, it would be a, it would be a nice leap forward. You know, right. Something very useful, I think, for most people, but um, and, nobody uh, is just just uh, racing to get on that bandwagon. Yeah. Just because, well, maybe not nobody, but few people are, are racing to get on that bandwagon. And I've seen some other predictions, things like the web 3.0 type thing would be more of a 3D experience where oh, you yeah. have an avatar wandering through the web. I honestly don't think that's going to happen. I don't think it's as efficient as using no. just very simple links. Um, it It's much more time consuming. And while I can understand the science fiction appeal of it, uh, in practice, I just don't see it being very um, useful. And I think Second Life is a good example of that, that yeah. Second Life was adopted by a lot of people and then abandoned by a lot of people. There's still people who use it and who still find value in it. Oh, yeah. But um, 
but for the most part, I think people realize that it's just not the most efficient way to navigate through the web. And even though it's kind of cool, uh, if you need to get something done, it's not the route to go. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where uh, there are just too many people with too many different kinds of interests, and if there's no money in it for people, then they're not going to pursue it as a, a viable technology, and things fall by the wayside. Right, right. But we'll keep our eyes open, so if we do figure out what Web 3.0 is going to be, if anything, we'll let you know. And hopefully we'll uh, be making money on it. Now, if you have any <laughs> ideas of what you think the future of the web is going to be, write us. Let us know. Our address is techstuff at howstuffboards.com. Remember, you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for TechStuffHSW on either of those services and uh, interact with us because we enjoy that. And we will talk to you again really soon. If you're a Tech Stuff fan, be sure to check us out on Twitter. Tech Stuff HSW is our handle, and you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash techstuffhsw. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the new Tech Stuff blog, now on the HowStuffWorks homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?